Warren Buffett, BlackRock, and other institutional players dominate investments in commercial aviation. Why? Because it's one of the most profitable and predictable alternative assets that exists. And it's not tied to other markets such as real estate and the stock market. Is it safe? Well, imagine triple net leases to the likes of American Airlines and British Airways. Income is contractual and guaranteed by some of the biggest named airlines in the world. That's why this kind of investment was never available to the ordinary accredited investor. That is until now. Visit accesswealthaviation.com and check it out for yourself. Invest in an institutional team with over 200 plus years of combined investment experience in the aviation sector. Conservative investing with double digit returns and tax advantages. That's accesswealthaviation.com. Accesswealthaviation.com. You are listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life. Welcome, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey with the Wealth Formula Podcast coming to you from Montecito, California. Before we begin the show today, I want to remind you that there is a website called wealthformula.com. It is the home of the Wealth Formula Podcast and where you can find a number of free resources, including free books from the likes of George Newberry. And uh, you can download my Wealth 1.0 book, which is uh, called The Seven Secrets of Eternal Wealth. And uh, it is also the place where you can sign up for our various lists, including Investor Club. Investor Club is, of course, where the magic happens, where our accredited investors can participate in potential deal flow. Um, and it's where you can, you know, stop being a just a listener and a, somebody who's learning and actually put some of these concepts into play. Anyway, go to wealth, wealthformula.com and check it all out. As for today's show, I want to start with this um, this concept. Uh, in 1798, a guy by the name of Thomas Malthus published his theory that predicted human population growth would eventually outpace food production and, well, therefore, push living standards backwards. Um, and, you know, he was a smart guy. He based this on simple mathematical observations that human population was growing at an exponential rate while food production was growing at a linear rate. Well, of course, at some point, those two would collide and, and well, people would end up uh, with uh, living standards that were uh, less optimal and uh, essentially because there would be a shortage of food. Of course, we know that Malthus's theory was based not on uh, on not really being able to predict the future per se. He didn't know the Industrial Revolution would come and that farming equipment, et cetera, would be significantly successful in our ability to scale food production at an appropriate pace to keep up with the population as a whole. And so that was that, right? And for those who jumped on the peak oil bandwagon a decade or so ago, uh, again, kind of being concerned about running out of oil because the you know the, the earth only has so much and all some energy prices go crazy and oh uh, you know you better find yourself a place to hide in somewhere in the woods where you can you know live without energy. Whatever happened to that crisis? Oh yeah, yeah. There was a shale. There was shale and uh, alternative energy sources. Turns out that uh, we probably will not have a significant problem with the peak oil issue as we turn 
into alternatives anyway in the next 20 years. And anybody who doesn't believe that's the case, well, I don't know what planet you're living on. Turns out human ingenuity finds a way. That's just the reality. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'm, 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 I'm hopeful that that continues, but that's what we've seen so far with all of the doom and gloom predictions. Um, it is possible, however, that human ingenuity in the form of technology could also be creating so much efficiency in the system that it actually puts us all out of work. After all, we've got something called artificial intelligence coming up, and is that going to replace all of our jobs? Are we going to basically be you know, worthless uh, compared to our computers? Well, technology creates so much efficiency that everything will be less expensive than it is today. After all, think of those mobile applications you use on your phone that we get for free, right? All that technology that would have cost thousands of dollars, probably hundreds of thousands of dollars. Now you just get for free on your phone. And speaking of phone, when, when was the last time you had to pay for a long distance phone call across states? I remember that. Gosh. Will everyone start working from home and essentially eliminate the need for commercial real estate for offices and retail? And if all those things do happen, wouldn't that cause a serious deflationary pressure on the economy? Yeah, of course it would. And stuff would just get cheaper, right? Isn't that the end result of it all? Isn't and is is stuff getting cheaper bad? Well, it sort of is because deflation, which is stuff getting cheaper, is probably the worst thing that could happen to a country's economy. After all, we live in a debt-based economy. We borrow money now, and because of inflation, we can pay that money back in the future when it's worth less. We wash it away, right? That's what us real estate investors do every time we take out a mortgage. If we had a true deflationary movement and environment, we would be screwed. And I'm talking about the country, um, you know, of course, us mortgage holders and stuff like that. We'd all, we'd all be screwed too, but the country would be screwed. We would not be washing away our debt with time, but rather amplifying it. Now, my, my guest on Wealth Formula podcast today sees this coming our way sooner rather than later uh, because of the exponential rate of technology growth. It is an interesting idea uh, and one that you're going to want to pay attention to uh, with our guest on this week's show, Jeff Booth, who is the author of The Price of Tomorrow, Why Deflation is the Key to an Abundant Future. And we will get to that conversation right after this. What do the Rothschilds, the Romneys, and the billionaire hedge fund managers know that you don't about growing and protecting wealth? As you might imagine, the wealthy have a few tricks up their sleeves. One strategy allows you to grow wealth tax-free at a compounding rate with no volatility. It protects your money from creditors and lawsuits, and it lets you invest the same money in two different places at the same time. How about that for amplifying wealth? To learn more, go to WealthFormulaBanking.com. Again, that's WealthFormulaBanking.com. Self-storage is a necessary evil. It's where you keep your stuff and forget about it. No wonder the stuff is so profitable and recession-resistant. The Wealth Formula community, well, we've benefited from that. We've made lots of money in this space with Reliant Real Estate. 
one of the largest self-storage companies in the country. With an average investor internal rate of return of almost 34%, with hold times just over three and a half years, these guys know what the meaning of velocity of money is. If you're an accredited investor, make sure to check out what they're up to right now at ReliantFund4.com. Again, that's ReliantFund4.com. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today, today my guest on Wealth Formula Podcast is Jeff Booth. Uh, Jeff has been at the forefront of technology for 20 years. He's founded multiple companies and serves on the boards of even more. He has been featured in multiple publications, including Forbes, Bloomberg, and Wall Street Journal. In 2015, he was named BC Technology Industry Association's Person of the Year, and in 2016, Goldman Sachs named him amongst its 100 most intriguing entrepreneurs. So obviously, he's got some chops on the technology side, but he is also the author of a book that's creating uh, quite a bit of buzz in our podcast space these days. It's called The Price of Tomorrow, Why Deflation is the Key to an Abundant future, and that's going to be our topic for today. Jeff, welcome to Wealth Formula Podcast. Uh, thanks for having me. So let's start a little bit with your background. It's obviously interesting. You're a technology guy. So tell us how you got interested ultimately in this con, you know, in, in, in talking about the economy and ultimately came to write your book. Yeah, it, it, uh, as an entrepreneur, um, essentially what you do as an entrepreneur, especially today, is you try to solve problems and try to find uh, solutions to problems through technology. Right. And so a lot of what I'm doing, and kind of call it my day job, is the intersection of technology. And, 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 and that makes me super excited, right? Yeah. So some of, the, some of the companies that in formation stage and how fast they grow and, and when you get it right, um, it's incredible. Um, credible growth. I'll give you an example. One of the companies I co-founded last year at this time was doing 300000 a month. It's now doing $8.5 million a month. Wow. And so when you know how to build kind of technology companies that can, can drive that value, you have pretty exceptional value creation on the other side. But when I, when I looked out and all of that happening, um, and I and I looked at my kids and what would happen there. And uh, when you saw AI and how fast that's moving, and, uh, and I realized technology overall is great in a, in a company, but technology overall is competing with our monetary system, the way that we've wired the world forever. Um, and what that means is uh, it, it's pretty it's predictable what's going to happen to society, and you can see it all around you. So, so that was the thesis of the book. So let's let's in in I guess to dive in a little bit more on your thesis. I think it's important um, to kind of lay the foundation, um, as I see it. And correct me if I'm wrong. We're we're really talking about um, you know two parallel issues that are sort of coming to head. One is probably more familiar to my uh, to my listeners, which is that we live in a debt-based economy. We're accumulating debt. We have an inflationary model um, that pays debt to make it worth less in the future, that concept. And then the second element is the rate of technology and how looking at our past does not really give us a good sense of what's to come. And at some point, those two collide. Is, and that, to me, is important to understand in order to 
kind of get to your thesis. Um, if you agree uh, with that, why don't we start with the technology part first? Because I think for a bunch of professionals like doctors, et cetera, it might be um, really helpful to understand, uh, you know, that the complexity of that issue. So, so even what you just said is not exactly right. Um, and, and, and so the debt-based economy was in response to the technology and so, so if you think about if you think about this from a, um, so so and that's where a lot of people, what I would say, yeah. miss this miss this argument. So technology, and and I'll use a, an example I've used on uh, on many of the different podcasts, and I've asked this question to tens of thousands of people all over the world. If I fold a piece of paper, and if I could continue folding that piece of paper on itself, on itself again, and keep folding it up to fifty times. How thick is the piece of paper? And 99.999% of the people that I ask that question to say about two inches. And that piece of paper, you can only fold it seven times, but if you could continue folding, it would reach the sun, from here to the sun. When I ask that question, so when I tell people to answer the question, they believe they owe First, it blows them away. They go and check on Google, is it right, and everything else. And then they, uh, then they believe they understand exponential patterns right after that. Um, and and that, that's not why I asked the question. If 99.99% of the people don't get the answer, if it's not an intuitive answer, what it means is we all misunderstand exponential patterns. And why that is critically important is because technology is moving in that exponential pattern. And and so what that means, if you tie overlay that to the financial system and what central bankers missed and everything else, is the first fold shows up as nothing. We dismiss it. The second fold shows up as nothing. We dismiss it. Third fold, fourth fold, fifth fold still show up as nothing. And then what ends up happening, six or seven fold, something like that, we get a hype cycle on technology, right? People say, wow, it's going to do this. And then the next fold comes. And it doesn't do that. It doesn't. It, it doesn't match the expectations, and so it just drops. And everybody goes, "It didn't work." Take, take 3D printing. What people think about 3D printing today versus where it really is. That's that hype cycle or AI before it and everything else. And then it keeps folding. It keeps on moving at that rate. Um, and then you get into the big steps. And as much as you underestimated it in the beginning, you or overestimated it. You massively underestimate how fast it's moving. So that happens to all of us because we misunderstand how fast it's moving. So today we're now on, if you compare Moore's law to that paper folding exercise, we're on fold 33. So in fold 34 doubles all of the technology we're looking back at going forward, doubles it right in 18 months or two, two, uh, two years. And, and technology is, technology provides massive efficiency. That efficiency is deflationary. It's not a guess, right? That, that's the, the, it's all around you. Your phone that you use 20 years ago was just a phone. Now it's your camera, it's your music player, it's your AI assistant, everything else. In fact, we celebrate that deflation all around us, as a, and it's moving faster and faster into all corners of society. Now going back to your premise. So when I when I when I saw that and I saw what I'm doing in technology, what I mean, essentially every CEO, me included, or chairman, you put technology in to increase benefits and reduce labor, right? 
nobody puts technology into to increase labor. Right. And so we use it to reduce, to make make our lives more efficient, free our times, so do CEOs, and that's what's happening. Um, now compare that to if what I'm saying is true as a thesis, we should see evidence of this against our existing monetary policy, which works the other way. They're competing forces. Right? And that evidence is what you just talked about in debt um, is – it's not the debt itself. It's it's the debt is is brought to try to stop that, right? And so so technology is moving that fast. It's doubling and doubling and doubling. And in response to that, governments thinking that they can grow against that, lower interest rates first, which causes more debt, right? Which causes more debt. Which causes more debt. And in the last so. Before COVID, we had um, uh, $250 trillion of debt to run, 100, or to, to run an $80 trillion global economy. That's not the point. The point is $185 trillion of that new debt um, came in the last 20 years, predictably against what I'm talking about. And if you take that the next step, and we're seeing it right now, is the debt has to be exponential going forward to stop technology from uh, uh, from uh, from collapsing the entire thing. Let me back up one bit here and just have you clarify for us um, a little bit this idea that, um, that the technology is what is creating the debt. I mean, some people might be listening to this saying, well, well, that they're certainly, I, I get that that might be part of it, but we also have wars we're fighting. We're also... You know, we've got uh, Social Security and we've got Medicare. We've got all sorts of other issues that are, you know, driving up debt as well. So what um, what can you kind of tell us to sort of reinforce that part of the thesis? Because I think that's a pretty, um, you know, that's an important element of what you're saying. So if you look back to since 1995, right, and look to, back to central bankers' projection, projections of growth, versus their interest rates and look back to interest rates on a straight line down, right? And every time you try to increase interest rates, market collapses. And as you put more, as, as interest rates go down, essentially what you're doing, you're trying to juice the economy, right? Sure. That's what you're trying to do. You're trying to, because if now with this much debt, what, and, and the, you could have, you could have kept the entire world financial system in place if you, raised interest rates instead of lowered them about 20 years ago. It would have caused a deflationary depression. It would have caused wipeout of debt. Um, and But the system would have healed itself. Sure. Instead, that you lowered interest rates and lowered interest rates and lowered interest rates. And in response to lowering interest rates, what would... And, and by the way, it did grow the economy, but nobody asks... Uh, people get caught in a, in a kind of in a part of the system, and they don't ask this. Well, my house went up, right? And housing always goes up, but they didn't ask the other side of that. Would housing go up if if you didn't have 185 trillion dollars of additional stimulus? Right? right. You would see the actual truth everywhere. Sure. But the, but, but the problem is now the problem is so big by kicking the can down the road. It, it would have caused a deflationary depression in 2000. Now, 
the entire system unwinds. If you allow to, so even look at today, the stimulus talk about today and everything else. And and once that starts to unwind, then it unravels the entire system because it's all connected. No, I get that part. But I guess going back to the question of how, you know, technology as a, you know, I guess um, what I'm what I'm uh, gathering from what you're saying is that technology uh, increasing at a, you know, you know, technology causes the the debt is kind of the the question I'm trying to get at. Um, it doesn't cause the debt. It causes the re- response by central bankers to keep things growing against nature, because because essentially against that natural force, mm-hmm. right? Think of all the things you get free now. Yep. In your phone, that don't require labor. Sure. And governments need to try to drive labor. And the economy growing to keep jobs to keep the economy growing for so that so the unwind it doesn't hit right that's what the response is that's what the response is so te- technology in in its in its redu- reduction of cost you had to keep things going up in price right so let's say and again just playing devil's advocate and trying to understand trying trying to hit at the core of your thesis here. Some might say, well, you know, we've had changes in technology before. We went from an agrarian economy to an industrial one. And sure, we didn't need the farmhands anymore, but they went to work in the factories. So why can't we expect the same thing to happen as technology progresses? Don't we make other jobs? Don't we, you know, create, continue uh, being productive? I explore that all over the place in my book. Like I go down to the sand and uh-huh. back up on, on, on the book. Just so, just so people realize when we did this before, right? It, let's use the industrial revolution, right? Mm-hmm. Same thing, we do, uh, change labor and we created more jobs with the electrification, right? Right. Um, and, and what did the world look like through that, right? Resets of currencies everywhere and wars everywhere, right? Sure. Because, uh, because you had to reset, the same thing happened. Every single country tried to manipulate currency as the, as this was happening, making lives more efficient, and you had to reset and take it all down the ground and rebuild it, uh, rebuild it again. And that could happen out of what we're talking about. That could very much happen what we're talking about. Here's where people, and economists are just, they, if, if 99.9% of people get fooled by that same thing, what do stand to reason that economists get fooled by the same thing as well on, mm-hmm. on the paper folding? Sure. Yes, we all get fooled. And economist models look backwards, not forward. And that's what people are doing right now with what you're talking about, the same thing. If you knew I'm at the front end of some of these technologies, yeah. right? I'm at the front edge of AI, and and there I was at a... At, at, at a, at a meeting of in artificial intelligence, one of the world's foremost artificial, where, uh, where, uh, where one of the leading central bankers compared what happened with tech, uh, with artificial intelligence, what's happening with artificial intelligence with electrification. And I couldn't help thinking, I'm sitting there in the audience thinking, are you kidding me? When was yeah. the last time that anybody thought electricity was doubling and doubling and doubling? Right. It was moving linear across society, not doubling. Right. Or did, did anybody ever think that electricity could be smarter than us? Because that's what they think with AI. Right. Right. And so they, these are completely, you're, use, you're using two different frameworks. Right. And you're projecting the forward, the, the future with an 
archaic framework. Got That's it. what's happening. Got it. Okay, so let's let's assume we've got a deflationary environment, deflationary pressures, which I think we're already feeling deflationary pressures for a variety of other reasons too. Um, where does this go from here? What is the, um, you know, obviously we're continuing to, uh, governments are continuing to pump uh, money into economies. We're continuing to, uh, central banks want inflation and they want inflation, as you said, because when we can borrow today and pay back tomorrow in dollars that are worth less, um, it makes for, you know, uh, everybody's happy with that in general. Um, so at what point does that stop? What are the phases um, that you see coming up? And maybe, you know, if you can try to give us some sense of how quickly those types of changes might occur. So these are, it, it, as far as quickly, um, it, it, people uh, also misunderstand the feedback effects of a system mm-hmm. because they're looking at one component part of a system. Well, sure. I use the example of housing. They right. think housing always goes up without asking, can we print at that rate going forward? If you, if we can, housing will go up, but it won't go up for this reason people think it will. It'll go up because the currency valuing is going down. Mm-hmm. So, 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 so in this environment, but then if I zoom up a level, every country thinks the same thing. And this is a global phenomenon. So you have a whole bunch of actors in a system acting in their own best interests creating chaos in the overall system. The, the two systems, technology creates that deflation, and it's incongruent with our existing monetary policy, no matter what. Right? right. Those are two totally different systems, and, 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 and they don't fit together. The people's mistake in trying to fit them together is, is they carry one what, how the old system works into the new system and they can't see it. Right. So, so let's just, from a first principle standpoint, those things cannot go together. So now let, then let's explore what likely happens to protect, protect the existing system and, and what ends up happening on the other, on the other side because of it. So what happens to protect the existing system is you're seeing it all around you, right? Governments have to inflate. Right, and the first step of that in, 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 in inflation comes with central bank policies who print money, and that money printing goes to the banks. Essentially, they take bad debt off the bank's debt balance sheet and replace it with good debt, and take the liability on the central bank's balance sheet. But the central bank right now, or sorry, the bank banking sector won't lend, right? Because because there's there's no good businesses to lend against. Right? Yeah. There's not enough good businesses where they can make money going forward. So, so you have velocity of money collapsing because of that. Right? The next step to that is, okay, central bank cannot, cannot force a private entity to lend. The private en- this, this relationship is, is actually just all going into asset price inflation. So prices are going higher and higher and higher in our assets. Um, and most people are getting killed, right? Because what ends up happening is if you, you, inflation is like, inflation is just a hidden tax. But it's a hidden tax on the people that are most vulnerable. Because what inflation is really saying is 
I'm going to decrease your wages. Right? Inflation is wage deflation. Sure. Right? So there's a whole bunch of people working for wages that don't have assets. And the assets are going up in price and their wages are going down against those assets. Mm-hmm. And they can't feed their families. Sure. And, and, and so, so what's ha- about to happen is you're going to go to the same. So you've, you've destroyed the free market. You haven't let things fail and, and you've taken the risk on the central bank and by, by doing so. So, and, and you had to, because if you actually let things fail, who has the paper, who has the debt um, on the commercial real estate that needs to be written down 50%. The banks, right? Right. And if the banks fail, everything fails, and you all have the whole. Sure. So you you're forced into this thing where you have to keep doing it, right? At exponentially more. The next step of this is because of the breaking of the societal rules, and a whole bunch of people are losing out. You you elect uh, you you elect people who will say, "I will give you free money," right? without understanding where the free money comes from. Because because the until now it's just been socialism for the rich. Now it's going to be socialism for everybody. And and as you do that, you have to get MMT. You have to get fiscal policy because the banks won't lend. You have to get that to to people to be able to spend without asking where the money is coming from, right? So you have to print a whole bunch more money, and you have to do helicopter drops, MMT, and effectively at that time the Fed loses its independence and treasury governments take over the Fed because, because people demand them to, right? I'm going to, and at that time, when that, when that happens, you can expect that they will start to be able to drive inflation and then hyperinflation. That's the, uh, that, uh, because, because you'll just inject it into people's hands. All of those people will not ask the question. They think they'll get free money, but the free money comes with destroying a private market. So essentially you're consolidating power into government, more and more power into government. And, uh, um, and government can't make choices like a free market can uh, make. So, so you better hope along that path um, for, uh, uh, for um, bene- uh, benevolent leaders because because you've concentrated all power into this uh, in, 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 into the government. So the um, so at that point, uh, I mean, at at some point, this culminates, um, you know, presumably in some kind of uh, you know Bretton Woods type reset, or what's what's sort of the end game? What's the transition? Ooh. Those resets, remember, the two incongruent systems, yeah. and those resets very rarely come um, through choice. Those resets come through war and somebody winning a war. And so you can see, if you look at society, the divide of society. How do you get elected in that cycle? What you say is it's not that person's fault. It's not, it's, it's, oh, sorry, it's not the system. It's that person's fault. Sure. You blame people. And you create revolution by blaming people first in the country. And then as you get elected, it's not enough because it's a structural issue. So now you need to create blame somewhere else, China, Russia, somewhere else. So you can see this playing out as a board game all over the world right now. 
you can see the 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 um, and so so what I would say is why that's also why Bitcoin is running away right now in price. And people, all your listeners should go out and explore it and buy some as fast as they can because it's a lifeboat against what's about to happen. Um, the uh, that's what's ha- that's what's happening. It's a it, it's a safe it, it's a lifeboat against this coming storm, and uh, and and because it's a, it sets the rules instead of politicians setting the rules for a, def- def- uh, a currency that would allow deflation it forces that hand. And as more people adopt it, it will become more and more trusted. And, it, and, and my hope is that it's, it is the way we transition. So the idea being, uh, you think like some sort of Bitcoin based, uh, based economy. So, so whether, whether central banks eventually have to pig to Bitcoin and keep their own currencies or a Bitcoin based economy, if they choose not to, I, I think that's where we're going, um, because because it's hard to see in an environment of, uh, of of trust like we have, like so so this so if you go to the U.S. currency, U.S. currency can be manipulated, right? And every time it's manipulated, it pushes pain to the rest of the world that's using the U.S. currency, and so. So every other currency is in a fight against that, trying to be able to manipulate their own currencies. Can you imagine people today saying, I'm going to trust the yuan as a, as a reserve currency? Will they ever trust any reserve currency again going forward? I suspect not. Especially, can you imagine our politicians today, anywhere, coming together and saying, we're going to create a currency that, that forces this to stop? Yeah, I suspect not. So, Jeff, I, I know you don't have a crystal ball, but how quickly do you see all this happening? I mean, you know, obviously, if we, you know, you, you've said we can't look at, you know, we can't look at uh, technology in the rearview mirror because it's moving, you know, linearly compared to where we're actually looking when we're looking up front. So, is this, um, you know, something? You know the events that you're talking about. Are you talk? Are, are you know in your view um, or in your modeling? Is this something like how how soon does this become a critical issue, and where you start seeing you know either some kind of need for a global reset or you know some kind of civil unrest or you know global unrest? Uh, you know, are we talking years? Are we talking decades? We're certainly not talking decades. Um, which are, uh, um, and, and again, look around, right? Look around, just open your eyes and look around, look around. You can see it all around you. So, so, and, and when I wrote the book, I remember it's pretty, it predicts all of this, right? Mm-hmm. It's predicting, um, COVID was an accelerator to this, but when I wrote the book, it plays out exactly what's happening. And for a lot of people that, uh, have read the book, it said, their wealth has exploded because they knew where to, because they understand what's actually happening and what the next steps are, right? And what ends up, uh, uh, what, what ends up happening. But, but if you, um, if you look at kind of a timing thing on this and you say it, um, it is happening, but it's happening on a, on, on a path, you're, you're asking me to predict when it all breaks, right? 
And, and that's impossible to say, when does it all break? Right. It, because it's more likely to be this. That fiscal policy that I'm talking about, MMT, and everything else, in it, it, it will actually work. And people will be deluded to think, it, it, so for a time, a whole bunch of people will get paychecks, chosen by the government and it'll it will actually work for a time for for a time and and so but the what that'll do to other countries right you're going to be swinging back and forth with all countries kind of competing and devaluating their currencies at the same time and and you don't you can't predict when the whole thing unravels um just like when people say when when people want to look at okay ai taking all our jobs Right, AI being smarter than humans, people aren't looking at people are looking at a light switch and saying that's the time, and 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 arguing about whether it's ten years, twenty years, fifteen years, five years. They're arguing about the light switch, the moment. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Right, it, uh, the trend takes away jobs the entire time. Right, entire time. And the trend of the taking away jobs causes the whole thing to accelerate. The existing monetary uh, policy uh, system to collapse faster. And, and it's, it's literally impossible to pick the time. It would way, be way better to pick the trend. Sure. Sure. Well, that's, um, this really interesting stuff. Um, obviously, uh, we could talk forever, but I think the, the point is, this is uh, probably a book you want to pick up. It's the price of tomorrow. De- uh, why deflation is the key to an abundant future. Uh, Jeff, uh, well, uh, you know, thank you very much for joining us on Wealth Formula Podcast, and uh, you can only hope you're wrong. <laughs> or, you know, but, but maybe not. Like, yeah. that, that's, a, that's what the book, uh, book, book points to. There's yeah. actually, um, why is stuff getting cheaper bad in our lives? Yeah, that's the air true. You breathe is, the air you breathe is, uh, is free and abundant. Why is that a bad thing? Right. It's just, it, it's just bad because we've wired our system differently. Got it. Thanks again, Jeff. Thank you. Take care. Welcome back to the show, everyone. I'm curious uh, what you all think of Jeff's theory and uh, would love your feedback. Shoot me an email, bucketwealthformula.com. But from my perspective, I have to tell you with full disclosure that I have not read his book. And so it's always hard to, you know, critique a full body of, uh, of a thesis without, you know, digesting it. That, um, listen, I'm no economist, right? But uh, from my uh, perspective, I think the biggest problem I have, the biggest critique I have with this idea is the notion that technology itself is the primary reason for inflation. Um, And as you may recall from our conversation, his thesis is really predicated on this. Um, and, And as I understand it, you know, inflation really is coming from expanding the money supply, right? Uh, And quantitative easing um, and those types of things. It's what ultimately causes inflation. And the reason we need inflation is not to make up for good technology necessarily, but to pay for other things on our grocery list. I mean, listen, U.S. debt is about, I think, I don't know, like $26 trillion right now. And what is national debt anyway? It's an accumulation of budget deficits. And if we look into what makes up those deficits, 
The largest component by far is spending on Social Security and major health programs such as Medicare and Medicaid. We also have a tremendous amount of spending on the military-industrial complex. So what I'm not understanding here is how technology is a driving force behind inflation, when in fact, it really seems to me that we're just spending a lot of money on things that we want but that we can't afford, and then we have to figure out how to pay for them. So to me, it's a monetary and fiscal uh, policy issue um, that's making up for you know spending that really I don't exactly understand the the exact role of technology, uh, um, you know, decreasing that spending, um, or or I don't I don't really understand the role of technology here necessarily creating that. Um, you know, need for deflation. So anyway, that said, I I guess I might be a little bit confused. If anybody has any other uh, thoughts on this, I would love to hear it because obviously it's a it's a thought it's a it's a thesis that's going around in the podcast podcast space. And um, you know, Jeff is obviously a smart guy. I'm sure I might just be missing something, but that. Uh, is just all the more reason to pick up a copy of the book. Uh, the book is, of course, uh, called The Price of Tomorrow, Why Deflation is the Key to an Abundant Future. Um, and that's it for me this week on Wealth Formula Podcast. This is Buck Joffrey signing off. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast. Visit us on the web at wealthformula.com. The information contained in this podcast are opinions, not fact. As always, consult your own financial team before making any investment. See you next time. Buck Joffrey here from Sapio with Buck Joffrey. Aging might become reversible over the next 10 to 20 years. It's already being done in lab animals, so it's just a matter of time. Our challenge? To be healthy enough for when that time comes. As a former scientist and surgeon myself, my goal is to figure out how to do that and to share it with you. I wrote a book called Living Longer for Busy People that you can download for free at sapiopodcast.com. You'll be amazed at just how a few daily adjustments can add years of a healthy life for you. Again, download it for free, sapiopodcast.com.